to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We'll look at a couple of verses there just in way of review. I'm excited about the stuff we're going to be talking about this morning. Appreciate um, you being here to hear it and receive it. Amen. Brother Greg, I got something kind of echoing behind me up here, brother. I'm not sure what that is, if y'all can hear that or not. It may just be in the monitors. Um, all right, John chapter 15. That got it, brother. Thank you. Or got it better anyway. John chapter 15 and verse number 15. Jesus speaking. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Now, we preached two sermons last Sunday from this particular passage, so I'm not going to try to go back and re-preach those messages, but I do want to point out a couple of things and, and emphasize a couple of things maybe that we didn't uh, directly point out um, last week, and, and that is, of course, that we see a transition here in the relationship that Jesus has in the fellowship, the level of fellowship that he has with his disciples. He said, no longer do I call you servants, which means his initial relationship with them was as master to servant. But he says that that's changed now. And he says, I now call you friends. And obviously we're seeing a progression, a development. Uh, there's, and there's a, a relationship between an employee and an employer is different between a relationship between uh, two, two people that would be considered friends, if, if we could put it in our common uh, you know, life experience. Um, and then, of course, we see that there's even a relationship that's closer than a friend, and that, that's to become family or, or brothers. And ultimately, that's what Jesus came uh, to do for all of us, to, to not just make us friends, but to make us family with Him. Amen? That's a good place to say amen right there. Now, Notice, though, on the heels of that revelation is when Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I believe he's telling them that and us that so that we will keep our relationship, fellowship with him in the right perspective. So again, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Um, a lot of times we hear people talk about how I found the Lord. Well, not really. Uh, he, he found you. Um, he came when you were lost uh, to seek you out and to save you um, to literally you were lost from him because he created you originally and he came to, to, to lay claim uh, his rightful claim on your life or at least to give you an, a choice or an opportunity to respond to him. And so I want you to imagine for a moment though to, to really try to bring this, this thought home. I want you to imagine for a moment a situation in your life where it would be necessary for you to remind someone, hey, you didn't choose me, I chose you, right? And, and I think maybe where those two would be, two situations where that would be perhaps the most obvious would be, let's say you have a business and you hired someone, but all of a sudden that, that individual's acting like they hired you, that they chose you rather than you choosing uh, them. And so it has to do with who sets the agenda. And, and we said that a lot of people are looking for a relationship with God, but they're looking for a relationship with Him on their terms. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, I chose you, uh, in other words, He's the one that's calling the shots. He, he's the one that um, has the agenda that should be understood and preferred. So in an employee-employer relationship, 
Um, I, I never forget years ago, we, we had a, a gentleman um, on staff at the foundry, um, and, uh, and he had that attitude, bless his heart, you know, that, um, that, 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 that he was there to boss everybody around in, instead of submit and be a part of the team. And I'm sure some of you probably have had working relationships with that as well. I think another one is, is in parent-child relationship, amen? Um, who gave birth to who, right? <laughs> who's the parent? Who's the adult? Who's the child? Um, you know, who's the one that's... Uh, amen? Is anybody with me? I at least thought I'd get a little parents to give me a grin or something there. I mean, if you wasn't going to say a hearty amen to that, right? Um, and so it's keeping things in proper perspective. It doesn't in any way diminish Father's love for you. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things we pointed out last week is we, we got to let Jesus take the lead because he's going to lead us somewhere we would never, ever imagine going if we're, if we're calling the shots, if we're setting the agenda. In other words, he's going to set an agenda for your fellowship and relationship with him that is far greater and, and far more of a blessing and benefit to you than anything you would ever choose or consider for yourself. Amen. A couple of other verses. You don't have to turn there. I'll put them on the screen. 2 Timothy 1 and 9. It says, Who has saved us, speaking of, of God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So notice that there was purpose and grace given to you before time began. And I think it's important for us to understand what that purpose is. And a lot of us, our minds go to some form of service, some need that God has that, that He created us to fulfill. But what we actually see is the eternal purpose of God for your existence involves things like family, fellowship, and oneness. Listen to how the Holy Spirit answers this in Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, we could preach for two weeks on what's all contained within these verses. That's not my intent this morning. I do want to point out to you, though, how, first of all, we were created in light of something God predetermined within Himself. I ask this question a lot in the classes that I teach, which came first, Adam or Adam's purpose? And it was Adam's purpose. Which came first, you or your purpose? It was your purpose. In other words, God had a, a purpose for you uh, and created you in light of that purpose. He created you um, with the wherewithal to fulfill that purpose. And so, again, the question begs to be answered, what is this eternal purpose? Notice that we were given grace by God in order to fulfill. And we see that you were chosen by God to be holy and without blame before Him in love. He's talking about your standing with Him. Having predestined us, predetermined, God decided beforehand, before He created you, that His full purpose for you was to adopt you as a son by Jesus Christ to himself. And this is according to the good pleasure of his will, what he has wanted, what he has desired, what he has chosen 
to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us. He made you accepted. In spite of all the things that we've done to disqualify ourselves, in Christ He has made us accepted. Amen. Given this to us as a gift. Now, one of the key words that unlocks this passage is that word adoption. And we sometimes try to understand these words in light of our common day or modern day understanding of, of adoption. And of course, the same Bible that teaches that we've been adopted by God also teaches that we've been born of God. Amen. And so we are His both by creation. He created us. We are His this morning if you've been born again by the new birth. And then we also see that we've been given this spirit of adoption. To fully understand this, you have to understand what this word adoption means in the original language and what it would have meant to those who originally heard it. And so this word adoption is a compound word that means to place or position as sons. To place or position as sons. So this word speaks of both our relationship as sons of God, but it also is speaking of our position or placement in relationship to Him. Amen. Are you hearing me this morning? So what we're basically looking at is in the culture in which this was originally written, um, you could have been the offspring of a family, but let's say you were the sixth born son. You would not have had the same place or position in the family as the firstborn son. Now, if a man was to adopt a son, because many would adopt sons, not to really make them sons, but to get free or cheap labor, it was required that if you were going to adopt a son, you had to give that son the same place or position in the family as the firstborn son. You had to give him the same inheritance as the firstborn son. So when it says that we've received this adoption as sons, it doesn't cancel out or negate that we've been born of his seed, born of his spirit, that we are truly, genuinely, through the new birth, children of God. But in addition to us being born of God, we have been adopted by God and have been given the same position, the same place, before God as Jesus. This is why Romans 8 says you are an heir of God, and say it with me, a joint heir, co-heir together with Jesus. Remember, Jesus was once the only begotten, but after He died on the cross and people began to be born again, He's no longer the only begotten Son of God, but He's now the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. Are you seeing this? So when he's talking about your purpose, this eternal purpose for which you were created, this, this purpose that God had in his heart uh, long before he ever created Adam or created any of us was that we would be before him in love as Jesus, that we would be in the same position, in the same place uh, with him and before him as Jesus. Amen. I know if you're a guest with us this morning, some of this may sound a bit extreme, but does Ephesians not say that we are now seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. Do you see why He chose us? We didn't choose Him. Because we would have never chosen this. We would have never made a demand that we be a co-heir with Jesus. We would have never, ever, ever suggested that. 
But this is what, remember, He chose you, and this is what He has chosen you for. Amen. Now, we said last week, and this is the last bit of review, you're, you're deceiving yourself if you think you can have fellowship with God on your terms. Amen. It'll never work. It'll never work. But what the Bible does teach us is, if it, is, that, is that if you will center your life around Him, He'll center His life around you. If you'll put Him at the center of everything you are, He'll put you at the center of everything He is. And that's how He has established this thing to function. Now, in the time that I have remaining with you this morning, and then we'll carry it over into tonight, whatever we don't get finished with this morning, I want to introduce a thought to you, and that is, Jesus is the most influential man who ever lived. And at the same time, he is the most polarizing. Now, if you don't understand what it means to polarize, we're talking about pushing people to opposite extremes. Pushing people to opposite extremes. And when you consider the amazing thing about Jesus, first of all, let's take that first part of the statement, the most influential man who ever lived. Time counted up to his birth and started again. Um, not after his death. A.D. doesn't stand for after death. It stands for Anno Domini. It's Latin, which means in the year of our Lord. So this is 2018. We're, we're in the year of our Lord 2018 and, and, and soon to come into the year of our Lord 2019, just in a few weeks. But his influence on history doesn't just involve the calendar. Have you ever stopped to consider how many hundreds of thousands of songs have been written about Jesus. How many hundreds of thousands of songs should he tarry his return to the earth will be written in the future about him? But his influence isn't just over the calendar or a whole um, you know, section of, of, of music, a genre of music. I mean, there's Christian radio that only plays music about Jesus. We see that his teachings, his values, all, all of these things that, that he brought with him to the earth. But the amazing thing about him is not just that he's the most influential, but at the same time, the most polarizing. Because when we talk about people who have been polarizing throughout history, we see that um, they may have influence in, in one area, but not a lot of influence in others. One writer said it this way, polarization is not the world's pathway to the top. In other words, people who reach the highest levels of a corporation or the highest levels of an organization are usually the people who are pretty good at bringing opposite people together who are able to ride the fence and find common ground in both camps. We, we say it in politics, people who are able to reach over to both sides of the aisle. Amen. And, and those are people who are, are able to, to uh, you know, stitch together a coalition of folks um, who may, apart from their relationship, be in great disagreement. But they kind of ride that wave um, to the top of the highest positions um, in, in companies and, and, and in government. Jesus was not like that. He, he did not come to try 
and, uh, and make everybody happy. Somebody say amen or oh me. He, he, did, he didn't come to try to be politically correct. He, he, didn't, he didn't come to this earth um, to, to try to please people. He came to this earth with one agenda, and that was to please his Father. And you say, well, I thought his agenda was to die on the cross. He did that to please his Father and fulfill his Father's will and ultimately make a way, amen, for his Father's will to be perfected, to be produced in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. I want to read you, if I could, for just a moment, an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis on this subject. And this is what he says. He says, a man, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be considered a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So what C.S. Lewis is pointing out here is that Jesus was not accidentally polarizing, but he was deliberately polarizing for a purpose. Now, in this season, we see the different greeting cards that, that refer to the different titles by which Jesus was prophesied to be known and now is known as these things. And yet, we also see another, perhaps less spoken of, um, part or side of these things that are equally true. And let me try to give you an example of what I'm talking about. We rightfully so refer to Jesus as the light of the world. But we also see that as the light of the world, His light illuminated some and at the same time blinded others. Amen? He's referred to the cornerstone. And yet the cornerstone that many in this room are building their lives and families and eternal futures upon, that same Bible says that this cornerstone rejected becomes a stumbling block, a rock of offense, that if you get on the wrong side of, will fall on top of you, crush you, and grind you to powder. I'm not sure if that Christmas card would sell or not. But we see that Jesus, as the cornerstone, has these opposite effects. He is, of course, the Word of God made flesh, and we see that He has, as the Word of God made flesh, melted the hearts of many men and many women and many people and many children. But we also see that same word that melts hearts has also hardened and calloused the hearts of others. He's referred to as the great shepherd. And he came to find his sheep. 
His sheep, the ones who know, recognize, and hear His voice. His sheep, you know, the ones that will not follow the voice of a stranger. But we also see as the great shepherd that He came to separate His sheep from the goats of this world. He's the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. And He came to give you peace and me peace. The peace of God. The very peace that God has in His heart this morning. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And we could, again, preach so many sermons about this. But what we have to understand about the Prince of Peace who came to bring peace and to give peace, He came to do that by making peace and not just keeping it. See, folks who are trying to be non-polarizing are more interested in keeping peace than making peace. Jesus didn't say blessed are the peace uh, keepers. He said blessed are the peace makers. What does that mean? What's the difference? Well, we can understand it from a military perspective because there are times that our military is dispatched to different parts of the world to keep peace. But then there are times when their mission changes, where they are no longer uh, peacekeepers, they become peacemakers. When you become a peacemaker, that's when you've got to do the hard thing in order for there to be peace in the end. Amen. We see the King of Kings came to give us His kingdom. But the Bible also says that He came to take it from those to whom it was originally given. Our Deliverer came to lift us out of darkness and raise us up together with Him. But at the same time, He also became a factor in what the Bible says would be the fall of Mendy. Say, Pastor Mark, are you trying to confuse us this morning? No, I'm not trying to confuse you at all. I'm trying to help you see something here. What's the difference between building your life on Him and the chief cornerstone grinding you to powder. What's the difference between him illuminating your life versus blinding you? What's the difference between him melting your heart or hardening your heart? What's the difference between being one of his sheep and being separated from him like a goat? What's the difference between him bringing peace to your heart versus um, not just keeping it as it is? What's the difference between him giving you his kingdom versus taking it away from you? What's the difference between the rising of many versus the fall of many? It all comes down to one simple thing. How you respond to Him. How you respond to Him. It is not God's will that any perish, nor is it His will that any person's heart become hardened. Amen. Yet, to say... Again, without explanation, taken out of context, it sounds like a harsh thing to say. Jesus has hardened and calloused the hearts of many people. I heard Charles Capps explain it this way. He said, the same sun, S-U-N, in the sky that melts wax will harden clay. So he asks this question, is the sun uh, a softener or a hardener? And the answer really is neither one. The sun is simply the sun. And it has everything to do with the condition of what is exposed uh, to the sun. 
depend, that determines what the sun does to that substance. So you follow what I'm saying? It'll melt wax, but that same sun that melts wax will harden clay. And so again, it's the attitude of our heart. And why is attitude so important? It's because your attitude towards a thing determines how you respond to it, right? The attitude of your heart determines whether he's given you the kingdom or taken it from you. The attitude of your heart determines whether he's promoting you or demoting you. The attitude of your heart determines whether or not his word softens your heart or whether it hardens it. I want you to consider for a moment what Jesus said about himself. And this, this kind of goes back to the C.S. Lewis quote, right? There are people who want to dismiss Jesus as being a good moral man, as being a great teacher. Um, some maybe even say that, well, he was a prophet. Listen to me, please. You, you can't you can't do him like that. You, you, you can't be intellectually honest and say that because Jesus did not say he was a great teacher. Jesus did not say he was a good man. Jesus did not say that he was just a really uh, charismatic leader. Jesus said he was the Son of God. Jesus said, are you hearing what I'm saying? This is what he said about himself. So either he was that or he was a madman. He was a, he was a liar. Are you following what I'm saying? He did not leave us the option to take him or leave him. I don't care how popular the song was in the 70s or 80s. Jesus cannot just be all right with you. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Listen to what Jesus said about himself. First of all, he said in John chapter 8 and verse 19, to know him was to know God. The passage in John 8, 19, he says, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. We also see that Jesus said this, To see him was to see God. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 12 and 45. How about this one? To believe Jesus was to believe God. John 12 and 44 says, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. To receive Jesus was to receive God. Mark 9 and 37. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. How about this one? To hate him was to hate God. John 15 and 23, He who hates me hates my Father as well. And then how about this one? To honor Him was to honor God. John 5, 22 and 23, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Wow. Wow, are you seeing something here? You're seeing a pattern here. Some things, I believe, that we need to pay attention to. Amen. Well, praise God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to get way ahead of myself because I may not have time to, to uh, explain this in the links that we will perhaps in the, in the, in the service tonight. <clears throat> I'm not trying to, to preach some heavy-handed sermon this morning. 
Um, obviously, it's, it's Christmas time. Our hearts are a little heavy because of our brother Lonnie and our sister Annette. Um, there's, a, there's a reason why we, we need to see this. Amen. And, and, and stitch it together in our hearts with what Jesus said in John 15. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Stop acting like you chose me. I chose you. Stop, stop acting like it's your agenda. It's not your agenda. He's saying it's my agenda. It dishonors him when we, when we treat him that way. Amen? It dis, it, it, it's, it's dishonorable to him. And, and to dishonor him is, is to dishonor Father God who, who sent him. Amen. So I'm not just trying to impress you with what the Bible says about Jesus being polarizing. Remember, he's polarizing for a purpose because he's looking for those whose response to him will prove to be worthy of him. That's what he's going to tell us in Matthew, the 10th chapter. If you don't get there, I'm just jumping ahead for a moment. But it's like, well, what does that have to do with, with, with anything, Pastor Mark? Remember, he is ahead looking for a body. He is a bride, a groom looking for a bride. In both of those analogies, in both of those references, the head becomes one with the body, the groom becomes one with the bride. He is polarizing because he is trying to separate those on this earth who are willing to be one with him from those who are not. Those who desire him above all else from those who do not. Those who are willing to accept a relationship with him on his terms from those who are not. Remember, we didn't choose to be created. We had no choice in it. I shared with you um, a while back. I had an uncle that did some research on our family, and it turns out that one of our great great grandfathers was basically forced to come to the New World from England because he had gotten into some trouble there. And the story that I, the version of the story I had always heard was that he had killed a deer. He was deer hunting, he killed a deer. But in a monarchy, everything, even the resources of the land, belonged to the king. And since he got caught killing the king's buck, killing the king's deer, that he was given the option of go to prison or come to the new world. Well, it wasn't, I'd known that story for some time, some years, so many years. And the Learning Channel did a special on Patricia Yearwood, uh, the, the country singer married to Garth Brooks. And it turns out that, I think the name of that is Who Am I? I think is, is the uh, name of that show. And I, I looked it up online and watched the show and somebody told me about it. But it turns out that we share a common ancestor. It was also her great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, five times removed, however many greats that is. Also named Winslet, who was, was sent here. Well, yesterday morning, we were just drinking some coffee and watching some stuff on, on TV for a minute. 
And she has a, a show on uh, Food Network. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, Trisha's Southern Kitchen, I think. And in that show, she was talking about her family heritage and about her recent trip back to some of these sites where a lot of the things that shaped her life happened. Dad, this is what I didn't know that you and Uncle Charles may know, but I did not know this. His name was Samuel Winslet. He was an orphan. He didn't kill a deer. He stole a deer from a plantation where a man was raising venison like we would raise cattle. He stole the deer as just a homeless orphan on the streets. He stole the deer again trying to eat. And the plantation owner decided to make an example of him, had him prosecute, prosecuted, sentenced to death by hanging. And it was an amazing thing. She actually had copies of, of those documents. And someone heard about the situation and intervened on Samuel Winslet's behalf before King George. And King George gave him the opportunity to get on a boat, come to America, come to the New World, and to work off his sentence. So he came and settled in Georgia, King Georgia, Georgia. He settled there in Georgia where he had, I think it was six children, became a landowner, became a businessman, and became very prosperous. Now, Tricia Yearwood's telling the story, again, the disease and all that was so rampant in London in those days. Um, had he remained as a homeless orphan on the streets, he would have probably died in his youth. Uh, but the opportunity, again, to become a landowner, to become uh, a business owner, to become a, a man of means, would have, uh, he would have never had that opportunity. Now, as Pam and I are watching this, I'm getting tears in my eyes. I'm like, baby, one day in heaven, I will have to find this man that intervened on my five-time removed great-grandfather's behalf. I said, because you realize if they'd have hung him that day, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you right now. Okay? Amen. Wow. That's kind of heavy stuff, isn't it? That's kind of heavy stuff, isn't it? Bethany wouldn't be here. Oliver wouldn't be on the way. Are you understand what I'm saying? Amen. I'm trying to boggle your mind this morning. I'm just trying to tell you. So again, I didn't have anything to do with me being here, but I'm not here by accident or coincidence. I see the hand of God. Somebody asked me one time, they said, when, when is your earliest recollection of God at work in your life? And um, my first thought was when I was born again at five years old. But then I said, well, you know, that's really not true. I said, my mother was nine months pregnant with me when her appendix ruptured. And in those days, you know, the fact that both of us survived and are healthy is, is, is a miracle. But I even go back further than that. It's when my mother, as a child, was the only person in her immediate family that went to church. And as a little girl, she would get herself up on Sunday morning and walk to church. That was the hand of God in my life. 
But now I've got something five great-grandfathers removed. <laughs> right? That was the hand of God in my life. You don't think God knew us? He knew us before the worlds were formed. He knew us, right? So you can't tell me that He didn't see me standing here telling you about this when He moved on that man's heart to go and intercede before King George on behalf of my five-time removed great-grandfather. He's a homeless orphan king. Are you really going to hang him? He was just trying to feed himself. Surely, surely there's something better than this, right? Now, I'm telling you all that to say, God had his hand in us being on this earth. You better know that. But see, that's his doings. But we've still got to decide. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You say, well, you're, you're just purposely not saying choose, right? It's not that we don't choose him, but the, again, the context of this is he found us. And thank God the Holy Spirit, even when you say, yeah, but I still said yes to him. Thank God the Holy Spirit helped you say yes to him on the moment, the moment that you did. You, you can't call him Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. See, we try to say we, you know, we even, I mean, the, the, the total arrogance of all this is that we created ourselves. That absolutely nothing blew up one day, and here we are. Look at us, aren't we amazing? My goodness, you didn't create yourself? Didn't that? Well, a lot of folks are, aren't they, sister? Amen. But see, again, the point I'm trying to make, though, is you were created to be one with Him, but oneness has to be chosen. Oneness has to be accepted. Oneness has to be responded to. Amen. Unto us, child is born. Unto us, a son is given. He gave us Jesus, right? And now it becomes about our response to His gift. All right, Luke chapter 2. Let me, let, let, me say it one la, let me say it one last way, okay? And then we'll move to this verse. God's hand in me being physically born was still not enough for me to become one with Him. I still had to respond to the gift of His Son. Certainly, His love is revealed when I understand these things, His grace, eternal grace. His grace is timeless was the grace of God five grandfathers ago. It was the grace of God when my mother walked to church, prayers of a, of a grandmother, great-grandmother in her life. It was the grace of God when her appendix ruptured. Are you following what I'm saying? All of that, it's eternal grace that's brought us here. But what Jesus does for each one of us is He gives us the opportunity to say yes or no to God. We didn't, we, we didn't get to say yes or no to being born. But we do get to say yes or no to becoming one with Him. Luke chapter 2, verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, speaking of Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When we talk about Jesus being a polarizing figure, we see, first of all, that he's not just for the rising of many. Thank God he has brought me out of the ashes. Thank God he brought me back from spiritual death. Thank God he has prospered me and promoted me and and has raised me up and he has prospered and promoted you and he has raised you up. But notice that those who reject him, he's not just for the rising of many, he's also, again, depending on how people respond, for the fall of many as well. And then this last part, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus said it this way in John the third chapter. People don't come to the light because their deeds are exposed by the light. And so they remain in darkness, even though they need to come to the light and let that light shine into their darkness and, and bring uh, you know, freedom and, and forgiveness to them. So let me, let me say it another way. Jesus came to reveal the thoughts of our hearts. And not everybody wants the thoughts of their hearts revealed. Are you following what I'm saying? It's like, it's none of your business. Leave me alone. But because of how Jesus lived, because of what Jesus said, again, it exposes and makes a lot of people extremely uncomfortable but again, for our benefit. I'm almost out of time. Let me try to get another one or two of these. Matthew chapter 21. Um, Turn over there with me. Matthew 21 and verse 42. Matthew 21 and 42. Jesus said to them, Have you read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to the nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. If I could now, I'll just read this to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to him, notice this is, this is us responding coming to Him, coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Remember, He came to His own and His own rejected Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right and the might, the privilege and the ability to become sons of God who were born not of the will of men, not of, the will, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, but were born of God. That's out of John, um, early part of John, I think John chapter 1. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Notice, believing on him, that's our response to him. Verse 7, Therefore, to you who believe, this isn't to everybody, this is to you who believe, He is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also were appointed. But you, come on now, but you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. Singers and musicians, if you would, please come. I'm going to read one more passage, and this is where we'll jump in this evening. This is the one I referenced earlier, but I want you to at least see this in case you're not able to be back tonight. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus speaking, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Again, confessing him before men is your response to him. But whoever denies me before men, the opposite response, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring pre that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Do you see the oneness in that last verse? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. You say, wow, man, I, I, thought, I thought God was about the family unit, Pastor Mark. He is. You've got to understand what Jesus is saying here. You've got to understand that in those days, the strongest loyalties that existed were to family. And so now you've got the Messiah who's come. And in many Jewish families, one member of the family believed he was the Messiah, while others did not. One member of the family said... His words are melting my heart. While another member of that family says his words are blasphemous and they're hardening mine. Amen. And so what was happening is tremendous amounts of pressure was being applied to people. I'll show it to you in John. But again, we see that there were religious leaders who believed on Jesus but did not confess it because they were afraid they would be put out of the synagogue if they admitted that they believed in their hearts. You see what I'm saying? So when Jesus says, if you're not willing to stand for me and love me above all other loves in your life, you're not worthy of me. Amen. You're not worthy of me. That's, that's kind of strong. Again, just to say he's a good moral teacher or, or, or uh, you know, uh, a great human being, that, that's, that's, that's don't cut it here. Amen. Um, he said that you got to love me above everything else or you're not worthy of me. You're not deserving of me, right? Again, keep in mind, he's a groom looking for a bride. He's a head looking for a body. He came to this earth to find those amongst all peoples on the earth. He came looking for those whose response to him would make them worthy of him. And it continues to this day. You say, well, Pastor Mark, does this mean I'm not going to heaven when I die? Come on now. We've got to move past that, please. We're talking about right here, right now, this morning, today, your fellowship, your relationship, your walk with Him. 
and him being able to do in you and through you what he's always longed to do. Amen. 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 Bow your head. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you this morning for the beautiful men and women in this room. Father, for the children who've gone on to children's church, for the babies in the nursery. Father, Lord, and everybody in between. Lord, what you have prepared for us. Your word says that eyes haven't seen it, ears haven't heard it, nor has it entered into the wildest imaginations of our hearts what you have prepared for those who love you in this life and in the life that is to come. Father, help each one of us this morning examine our response to you. Not whether or not we said yes to you when offered the gift of salvation, but Father, what is our life saying about our commitment, about our priority, about, Lord, our choice to center everything upon you, to orbit around you, to make you the priority, not just first place in our lives, Father, but that which everything else in our lives bows its knee. Thank you, Lord, today for stirring our hearts, Lord, as this Christmas season draws near. Lord, that we would examine very carefully, very closely our ongoing response, our ongoing response, our ongoing response. Father, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying that so strongly right now to the gift of your Son. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want us to sing together one last time before we're dismissed this morning. As always, these altars are open for you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to pray with you. Others would be happy to pray with you this morning. But let's just remain in an attitude of worship. And, and um, sometimes as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Sometimes it's when I stop speaking, then He starts speaking to you. So... Just give him an opportunity to say something to you this morning and then we'll be dismissed. Praise God.